Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning. It's good to see you. Happy Mother's Day. It is a good day today. And it's even kind of sunny, which is awesome. <laughs> well, today uh, is the, we're going to continue in our Colossians series. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I love the book of Colossians for so many reasons. But I hope that today especially is encouraging for you all. Uh, in fact, what I'd like to do today is to spend a little bit more time looking at a couple of passages that we've already looked at. What I want to do is take a, a, a closer look at a few things that we've looked at from the last couple of weeks, kind of bring them together, and then help us take our next step of understanding. So at the beginning of our series, in week one, I mentioned that we get this really cool and rather rare moment where Paul, the author of this letter, tells us his goal for writing Colossians. And we find it in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And he says this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this is a really cool uh, moment that Paul tells us why he's writing this letter. And I'm excited to look at this a little bit more because I think we'll find some significant insights today for how we think about our church family and our community of faith. And I think these insights are fun because they have a lot to do with cultural differences between Paul's day and our day. So before we get there, what I'd like to do is to remind us of a conversation we started last week as well. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about how people in Paul's day were very comfortable and used to thinking about God as an external outside presence, right? A presence that's all around, who's outside of us, and whose actions have some effect on the world around us. And with that in mind, we looked at what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 25 and 27, where he wrote this. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you, uh, this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. What we did is we talked about those two words, those two words, in you, that they were game-changing uh, in recognizing God's inward movement uh, for people, the filling of the Holy Spirit and his empowering of us. God no longer an outside force, but an inward reality. We talked about how this was uh, yeah, game-changing, but it, it was Paul helping people to think in categorically different ways about how God worked. This was a significant thinking shift for the, uh, for the Colossians, for the whole early Christian community, and it had a major effect on how they lived out their faith, because it stressed the idea of transformation. Not just interaction with an outside force, but transformation and change that starts from the inside. This was unbelievable, powerful realization about how God worked, and this was uh, kind of a new thought for the Colossians. Uh, but today we're going to take this a little bit further because I want us to experience what Paul said his goal was in chapter 2. Uh, and for us to experience what he said is the stated goal, a few of our categories of thinking need to change as well. So we get an opportunity to do that this morning. 
one of the major issues that uh, when it comes to reading scripture that is that we all bring uh, to scripture a particular way of looking at things. We bring with us our own perspectives, the, our own thoughts about how relationships work, our own cultural lens and values. It's like putting on a pair of blue tinted glasses. As long as you've got those on, everything you see is going to be tinted blue. It will affect everything that you look at if you're looking through those glasses. And this happens to all of us when we read Scripture. We naturally apply our own understandings, our own perspectives, and our own cultural values when we're reading the Bible. It's difficult. We all do this. We're just naturally, we just naturally do this. So a major part of spiritual growth and proper understanding of the Bible uh, is to do our best to take off those lenses, to take off those glasses, and to read Scripture from its own context, trying to get clear what the original authors were attempting to communicate to the readers of their day. That's where it has to start for us. Now, this is not always easy. In fact, I'd say most of the time it's very difficult, and we don't always get it right. But we need to do our best as often as we can. And so a great example of what I'm talking about is when Paul writes, and the secret is Christ lives in you. The word you here is actually best translated as you all, or if you're Southern, y'all, right? (laughs) It's best understood as you all. And this is the secret that Christ lives in you all. And when we think about this and when we know this, it gives us this opportunity to kind of take off some of our cultural glasses and hopefully encounter a powerful powerful truth about God's people. In our context here in America, especially, and in 2022, one of the cultural things that we bring to Scripture is that we highly value individualism. Right? We, we think about this all the time. We prize it. We prioritize it. We structure our society around it. We fight for it. It's a significant part of our identity. That I am a single individual, separate from other individuals. Maybe we believe the same things. Maybe we're both Christian. But on some level, we're still fully differentiated individuals. This is a significant value of our culture, our cultural understanding, and how we even think about ourselves. Uh, This high-level value, it so shapes uh, our life. Uh, It's such a significant part of our culture. It's a cultural nuance of our day-to-day. And it didn't exist in the same way for for the New Testament authors and their readers. It actually doesn't exist in the same way in other parts of the world today, which we, it's important to know that. But this is significant because this high level uh, value of individualism shapes how we read scripture. Or maybe I should say, often misshapes how we read scripture. The early believers, the early Christian community, simply didn't think of their communities in the same individualistic terms that we do. And this has significant implications on our Christian community here today. One author I read wrote this. Here's the part that's not apparent for those of us who happen to be 21st century Americans. When Paul identifies the mystery as Christ in you, what he really means is Christ in you all. The you, as is the case so often in the New Testament, is plural. 
The New Testament rarely addresses me as an isolated, individuated, privatized person. So to be sure, God addresses me personally. We know that. We talked about that last week. But my identity is not primarily as an individual. In fact, he writes, that's more a sign of our brokenness. I cannot know who I am outside of relationship with God. And he says, I cannot know God apart from other people. And that's where we like to push back. That's hard for us to understand. And this is why so many places within the New Testament, we are instructed on how to think about the people of God, not as a group of disconnected individuals, but as a deeply connected group of one. One spirit, one faith, one father, one body of believers. And I hope maybe you're kind of feeling the twinges of like, ah, that's kind of uncomfortable, (laughs) good, right? We like that. We want to be pushed to a deeper understanding of what it means to be followers of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, we read things like this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So is it, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. A few verses later, it says, This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. This is so key for us to understand and embody because if last week we saw Paul helping the Colossians take, uh, make a categorical shift in their thinking about how God works, this week it's our turn to have a categorical shift in our thinking about how God and the community of faith works. Because the mantra of the New Testament is not most of the time me and Jesus. It's we and Jesus. It's love one another. And this is significant for us to understand and to live out. And I don't mean to diminish an individual personal relationship and faith with God. We talked about that last week. That's very important and it's necessary and it's transformative for us. But it can't stop there. Uh, The New Testament communities consider themselves deeply part of each other. Therefore, when one person suffered... They all suffered. They felt it deeply because they understood themselves as part of uh, each other. So if I hurt, you hurt. If you hurt, I hurt because we are one. Does that make sense? Start, we maybe begin to understand this in a really deeply formative way. There are a few other ways uh, that the New Testament articulates this concept and this idea. They're kind of all over the place in the New Testament. And so we recognize how important this is. Uh, The followers of Jesus are, are talked about in Scripture, number one, as a family. In fact, on one occasion, as Jesus was teaching... Uh, he was teaching a large group in something like a house and his mother and brothers had come and they were, they were outside and they were trying to get in because they want to talk to Jesus. And when someone told Jesus that they were outside, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
Wow, it's powerful stuff. Maybe this would have been difficult for his biological family to hear, right? But it certainly articulated the vision of the kind of community that Jesus wanted his followers to be, your family. Deeply connected family. A second image uh, for the church, often found at least in the second half of the New Testament, is that of a building. I like this one. Uh, There's some powerful passages about this one. And it's one that maybe is a little bit easier for us to understand at times. So 1 Peter 1, 5 says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer sacrifices that please God. Incredible. So the New Testament authors make this bold claim that the sacred dwelling of God isn't architectural. It's social. It's communal. It's you all. It's us together. That's the living place of the Lord Jesus. And finally, as we've mentioned, the, ma- the last kind of major idea of the body of God is that exa- of a body. A single entity composed of many distinct parts Uh, A single whole, no part of which can be cut off from the other. If it is, there's disastrous effects, right? Like if you cut off an arm, (laughs) not good. This is so important for us, but can be so difficult in our day. In our day, it's truly countercultural. What happens if we lean into this highly individualized understanding of ourselves, even of our Christian community? We have seen this so much in the past couple of years. What happens is that it becomes really easy to demonize and objectify someone else in the midst of this extreme individualism. Yeah, maybe we're both Christians, but if we don't have the sense that we are one, then we can really easily... Uh, just dismiss someone else. So maybe we believe the same things, but maybe they voted a different way. Maybe I just don't like their hair. You know, who knows, whatever it is. We have some reason, we, in an extreme individual kind of perspective and way of doing things, we can just easily see the other person as other and demonize and tear them down. And Jesus says, that's not how we do it. One author I read this week wrote this, the New Testament casts a vision for significant investment in one another's lives, for bestowing significant value on one another that we will not take back with the first disagreement or conflict, for giving one another permission to be who they are in Christ, for allowing one another room to try and to fail and to disappoint and room to speak the truth to us in love when we try and fail and disappoint knowing that we will still be in loving relationship with one another on the other side of temporary turmoil. The experience of the love of God and the joy of the Holy Spirit went hand in hand with the experience of authentic community from the earliest days of the church's existence. Isn't that powerful? (laughs) I hope that as we're thinking about this, the Holy Spirit's beginning to speak to you and reshaping how we think about what it means to be connected in a community. So, okay, Pastor Kyle, why is all of this important? Why do we need to think less individualistically and more uh, communally, more corporately like this? And that is because of the goal that Paul gives us in Colossians chapter 2. Again, he says that this is the goal, that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love. 
so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love what Paul does here because Paul uses a couple of words that are redundant. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard for us to see this. We don't see this in, the, in our English language, but we just see him as being emphatic. He's using some pretty significant language to kind of really make his point. But in the original languages, often you see that as the same word written twice or the same idea written twice. And you read through that, you're like, okay, Paul, great. I got it with the first word. You don't need to put it in there. That's grammatically incorrect, by the way, right? <laughs> but that's, not, that's how those, those uh, languages worked. What Paul's saying, he's using the same word and the same ideas multiple times. He's emphasizing that we need each other, the community, uh, and that we need to move away from the stream, extreme individualism because he says he doesn't want us just to experience riches. He wants us to experience the full riches. See how that's working? He doesn't want us just to have understanding. He wants us to have complete understanding. And so in order to have the full riches and complete understanding, we need each other. In Romans 12, uh, starting in verse 4, it says this, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I love this. This is so good. There's so much depth and breadth to what God has gifted his people. And we don't see it unless we do it together. This is so powerful, right? These various images provide us with points, entry points, and how to think about our connection with one another. And that is uh, a connection that is central to our Christian identity, that Christ is in you all, us together. These also help guide us as we think about our responses and our, our responsibilities for one another. God has joined us together uh, for eternity and joined us together for now for our own and one another's eternal good. I hope this is helping to just help us understand why this is so key. The fact is that we have a partial experience of the treasure of Jesus on our own or by ourselves. And what Paul is saying is you, you don't want to just be on your own because in Christ we have all the riches, all the wisdom, the full treasure of God in this life. We need each other to experience it because God has gifted each of us in different and significant ways. I was having a conversation with uh, Nikki earlier before the first service, and just to give you an example of this, we were just celebrating together on uh, a, a, a way that God has answered prayer in her life. And it was significant because it wasn't just like answering the, the, the one way we thought it could work or she thought it could work. It was like God took a bucket and dumped on her grace and mercy in answers to prayer. It's almost like, whoa, this is way too much. This is way better than I thought. This is way better than I could expect. And you know what? As she's telling me this, and I, we've been praying 
together in our, in our Thursday night group for some time through this and to see the answer of God and to see that it was just way more, it was like, oh God, like incredible. I'm rejoicing because Nikki is part of me and I'm part of Nikki as a family of faith. And you know what? When we hear those stories, when we see that, that God is doing that, what, ha- what happens to our faith and our confidence and what God can do is all of us go, whoop, whoa. If God can answer th- uh, the prayer of my sister, <laughs> part of me, that he can do that for me. And it helps us increase in our confidence about who God is, his nature, his character. It's just incredible. We need to hear these stories and we need to be together, united in, in using our gifts so that we can experience the fullness of what God has planned for Crossview Church here in Snohomish. Powerful stuff, and it takes all of us. So are you thinking too individualistically about your faith? How are you connected here and with others? How are you doing life together with other people? How are you investing in one another, developing not only on your own, but developing others toward the fullness of experience in Jesus? How is it that we are partnering together to put the full breadth and depth of the gifts and graces that Jesus has given us on display here when we're gathered, but also in our larger community? Maybe you've been hesitant to step forward for some reason, to operate in the gift that God has given you. And maybe today the Holy Spirit is nudging or speaking. Maybe today is the day to take that step for the sake of our faith family, for the sake of the Snohomish community, our neighborhood, and what God wants to do together. One author I uh, I read wrote this. This is why banding together is so critical. Christ in you only comes to full expression when it becomes Christ in you all. This will not happen in our churches in any significant way until it begins to happen significantly in many small ways. I love that. The answer is just maybe for all of us and for each of us, that's a, that's a great way to think about growth in Christ, which is maybe the ideal is way out there and that's far out and overwhelming, but maybe the next thing is just a small step forward, whatever that looks like for you and letting God speak to you and minister to you in that way. This will not happen in our churches in any significant way until it begins to happen significantly in small ways. That is, a growing number of groups of people who become encouraged in heart and united in love. The truth is that Paul wanted the Christian community to do, to, uh, to, uh, do more than just simply know about Jesus. He wanted them to experience Christ in their midst Jesus is the proverbial gold mine of all gold mines, right? Which he said, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's spirit does indeed live in each of us like we talked about. But there is another indispensable dimension of encountering God. And it takes all of us together. God's placed each of us in the context of this larger body so that we can receive the benefits of what the other people contribute to our lives and what we can contribute to their lives. Significant. As we walk together. If we are to know and experience and realize God's vision for us. We need to, as best we can, lay aside more and more our value of independence. And embrace the New Testament vision of interdependence together. All together, the body of Christ, the household of faith. A categorical shift in our thinking and practice, at least culturally for us. It can be difficult but it's necessary, and that's how God has called us to live.
And Paul says that my goal, he writes, is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, that know is experience, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now we read that a little bit differently, don't we? Thinking about how Paul is writing this and why he's writing it. Significant step forward for us. Worship team, would you come on back up? As the worship team is coming back up, I just want to encourage you to take some steps this week uh, to connect. Maybe that's connecting with other, someone you haven't talked to in a while, maybe a phone call or a text message, and maybe at least an email, reaching out, some way of connecting. You know, um, one of our discipleship step pathways is connecting with others, and we, what we say is, are we creating space in our lives for close personal relationships that help us uh, get closer and grow closer to Jesus? And are we making cl- space in our lives so that we can invest in other, per- other people's journey doing that same thing? This is really important for us to do. So I just want to encourage you. We've got a few new small groups. If, you, you know, if you're not a part of a small group and, and that's a way that, that you can connect, we've got a few starting this summer. We've got a few starting to take a break for the summer too, but there are lots of different ways to connect and to be together in this uh, expression, this full expression of the giftedness that God has given us all to uh, see what he, what he wants to do through us as a church family. I just want to encourage you to take a step this week to connect. At least spend some time in prayer asking God to shift our thinking away from such individual, individualistic ways of doing things. Let's pray.